hand. And uh, as part of the funeral service, one of the children was testifying about their father. And I had uh, known the father pretty well. He had often uh, said, uh, when I die, I want you to do my funeral. He had visited the church here on a number of occasions. The week, I think about 10 days before my mom had passed. In fact, it was the last time I'd take my mom out to eat. I had seen him and his daughter out to eat and took my mom over there to see him. And he told his daughter, he said, now, this is Rick. And he said, now, you make sure that he does my funeral. I had known him for over 50 years. My parents had known him even longer. And so there in the cemetery that day at his funeral, his son began to share about his father and about his his occupation, what he did. And I did not know what he did. I thought I did. But he held a very prestigious uh, position. And then the boy began to share how how generous his, his father had been. Well, I knew that. His dad was a very generous man. And then he let it slip, in a, not in a very, not in a bragging way, but a matter-of-fact way because of the work ethic and character base, that his father was a, a multimillionaire. I never knew any of that. You would never have known it by the way that he dressed, by the things that he drove. At best, you would have thought he was, uh, he had, you know, at best, maybe upper middle class or something like that. But no way that he would have been a, a multimillionaire. It was a surprise to me, but it was a good surprise. An even greater surprise is what I want to sit, talk to you about this morning. About the person, the life, and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only the way he lived, but the way that he died. And that he secured our redemption, our salvation, when he died on the cross. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And watch this. That though he was rich, nobody was richer than Jesus. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes, when he became When he came to earth, he became poor. That ye through his poverty, when he came to earth, might be rich. Now this is marvelous, but it's also mysterious. This level of love, this grace. This mystery. Uh, Last week I talked to you about about the wonder of God, about the, the marvel, about God, about the mystery of God. And today we want to go into the mystery of the cross. The most mysterious part about the cross. In Matthew chapter 27, notice in verse 45. Matthew 27, 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. 
And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias or Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. I want to give you the the big idea, the thrust of what I want to build my message around this morning, and it's this. That within the mystery of Calvary, God did His greatest work on our behalf. Within the mystery of Calvary, because this is a mystery. There are mysteries here. Within the mystery of Calvary, God did His greatest work on our behalf. Last week we looked just a little bit at the darkness. Notice in verse 45, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. This was a supernatural darkness. This was a miracle. Some people believe, in fact it was recorded, um, that it was not just regional darkness over Jerusalem or over Israel, but it was worldwide Darkness because of the event, uh, what was occurring here, redemption. This darkness is, is a mystery because of the power and the purpose of God, but it also represents what Jesus did for us, and, and it's a mystery that will, will go on into eternity that we will never figure out, even into heaven. It will still be a mystery to us, and don't let that word scare you. Uh, You know, you only worship that which is greater than you. The moment you figure it out, it loses its wonder. And God is mysterious. His work on the cross was a mystery. And so I want to give you the first portion of of the outline, which comes from the text here. First of all, the mystery of separation. The mystery of separation. There's a word here in the text that has just grabbed my heart for these months that I have been baptized here in the text. The mystery of separation. If you'll notice again in the text, in verse 46, when Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why hast thou forsaken me? God the Father forsook the Son of God, Jesus Christ, on Calvary. There was a separation. There was a forsaking there. Did you hear me? God forsook His Son. This is a mystery. I I think we're casual about this. He forsook Him. When he says, why hast thou forsaken me? The word forsaken there means to desert. He deserted him. It means to leave behind. He he left him behind. He separated from his son. And the reason he did it is because at that moment, in those moments, for those three hours from noon until three o'clock in the afternoon, when God turned the skies dark, and by the way, it wasn't just an opaque, it was as dark as midnight. We'll see that in a moment. 
Because God placed the sins of the world, of the universe, from all time, from Adam until the last human being was born. He placed them upon His Son. And it was as if God pulled the shades of heaven and He turned His back upon His Son. He forsook His Son. There was a mystery of a separation. It was a tragedy and a triumph at the same time, mixed into one. It's a great mystery. I, I've had the benefit of preparing this message, and I, you know, the preacher lives with the sermon. You hear just a portion of it. And as I have just bathed myself in it and, and, and thought about this, it has just not just driven me into the Bible, but driven me into the heart of God. And this mystery of separation. I want to answer some questions here. We'll just look at two questions this morning. Number one, when did this happen? When did this separation happen? Well, the Bible tells us here in Matthew twenty-seven forty-five. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land to the ninth hour. And when the ninth hour... About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Jews began counting their, their day at 6 a.m. in the morning. At 6 a.m. In Mark chapter 15, the Bible says that Jesus was crucified at the third hour. That means if they started at 6 a.m., the third hour was 9 in the morning, the third hour. And then Jesus was crucified at nine at the six hours when darkness came. That's at noon, at the, at the apex of the day, at the brightest part of the day. And then at three o'clock in the afternoon is when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So basically, for six hours, from nine to three, he was on the cross. From 9 to 12, he suffered physically, if you will, though he did suffer physically from 12 to 3 also. But from 12 to 3, he suffered spiritually. And at noon, suddenly, the skies not only grew dark, but they were dark as night. And from 9 o'clock until 3, he had already spoken three separate sentences. The first one we looked at, he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And then he said, Thou shalt be with me today in paradise, he said to the thief beside him. And then he looked at his mother, and he said, Woman, behold thy son, he spoke to John. And then he said, John, behold thy mother. And now it's noon, and, and the sky becomes dark and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in that there is a question, but it's also a statement. God has forsaken his son. In those three hours, it wasn't just at 3 o'clock. It summarized the whole suffering physically and spiritually. And it happened in that time frame. The second question, and this is what I want to spend my time on for these moments, is what happened? What happened in this time? When it says he forsook him, what, what did that mean? 
And this is a mystery. I'm, I'm going to just barely scrape at the edge of it because this is what's going to be our preoccupation in heaven. What did it mean he forsook him? God the Father was judging his son for your sin and for my sin. This was a payment for your salvation. And the darkness was associated with God's judgment. Remember when God began to judge Egypt, when Moses said, let my people go and Pharaoh wouldn't. And so he began to send these plagues. And finally, the tenth plague was when the, the taking of the firstborn, and that was the one where Pharaoh said, okay, you can let them go. I, I've had enough. And he took the firstborn son. Do you remember what the ninth plague was? It was the bringing of darkness upon the land. Do you remember the nature of that darkness? We looked at it a little bit last week. I want to show it to you again. In Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 and 22. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. This was just regional darkness for Egypt, because the Israelites had light in their homes. But look at this. Even darkness which may be felt. Darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a, and and notice this again, a thick darkness. You see the description? In all the land of Egypt for three days, a darkness which you can feel, a thick darkness. Now, darkness is inanimate, but it's associated with a kingdom of darkness, which is Satan. This is a different kind of darkness. This is a this is a judgment darkness. I told you last week we get this expression. Uh, it's dark as an Egyptian midnight from this passage. Now I, I don't think literally you could feel the darkness. It's a metaphor, but it was it was a it was a darkness like no other. This was a darkness at the cross like this. What was the judgment on the cross? Was was God judging the people because they had crucified His Son? Was He judging them because He had butchered His Son? No. He was judging His Son. Listen, He was judging His Son for the sins of the people. He was not judging the people. He was judging His Son. And it was such an ugly thing. It was such a personal thing. It was, as it were, this is the mystery of the separation. This is the mystery of the forsaking. And I'm going to frustrate myself. I've tried to, to, to put this as, as well as I can. And it's frustrating. As he put this darkness so that we could not even see this. And God turned his back upon his son. And when Jesus was hanging there from noon until three, he did not become a sinner because he never sinned. But listen, he became legally guilty and he bore your sins and the penalty of your sin, which was separation from God, which is death. The wages of sin is death. That's separation. 
The word death means separation. It, it doesn't mean cessation. It means separation. When you die, you go to a funeral, the body is separated from the spirit and the soul. That's physical death. Spiritual death is when eternal death is when the body, soul, and spirit are separated from God eternally. When Jesus died on the cross, He died physically, but He also died spiritually for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of the entire world. And here's what I want you to do. Because usually we think about Jesus dying for sins, but we don't personalize it. Right where you sit today, I I want you to think about your sins. And just for a moment, I want you to think about the worst thing that you've ever done. Just for a moment. And I want you to think about the worst place that you have ever been. And Jesus died for that and every other thing you've ever done in the darkness. When God turned his back upon his son and he was paying for your sin and God was judging him guilty, not just for the sins of the world, but for you. You see, it's a mystery, but, it, but there's enough for us to see there where I can know that he, he died for me. He bore the sins and He became guilty. He be, took the sins of the fornicator and the adulterer and the sodomite and the child abuser and the thief and the liar. And the pornographer, and the drug trafficker, and the cartel. And and, and you can think of of every sin that you can imagine. Jesus bore every sin, every type of sin for every person in those moments in the darkness. And we sang it this morning. Well, might the sun, S-U-N, in darkness hide and shut his glories in. When Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature, sin. And I was there in Christ, dying. With him. A.W. Pink, who wrote about this moment on the cross, wrote this. Listen to this. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had a God who strengthened him. But on the cross, he has a God who turns away from him. In Gethsemane, he can call 12 legions of angels who would have been quick to deliver him. But on the cross, he cries to God who refuses Deliverance. Previously, he said the Father has not left him alone, but now the Father has turned his face. In Gethsemane, the Son was tempted to forsake the Father, but on the cross, the Father has forsook the Son. 
And I want you to look at this verse again. This this verse is haunting, but it's sweet at the same time. There's a bitterness to it, but there's a sweetness to it because it's our redemption. In Matthew 27, 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he says this in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That was the language of the people. And the religious teacher spoke in Hebrew. And the people understood him. This is the first time he had ever spoken to his father as God. He always said, Father. And he did not cease to become deity But the fellowship was broken. Some have said he was talking to the Father and the Holy Spirit when he said, My God, my God, Father, Holy Spirit. One God manifests in three persons. He was still God. Jesus Christ is God. But the relationship between him and the Father in eternity passed. There was never a time when Jesus had not existed. The fellowship was broken. And as I began to read these verses, and they and I've had again the privilege and to, to be able to marinate in these verses. He says, Why? You see the agony here. Why? Why have you forsaken me? Now the truth is is he knew the answer to that question. Now, I've heard I've heard sincere preachers say, "Oh, oh ne- never question God." That's wrong. What Jesus did. I've been reading in Psalms in recent weeks where where David did. God, where are you? God, where are you? And Jesus did, and He knew the answer. Because when you feel forsaken. It's a lonely thing. And the Bible says he cried this. He didn't whisper this. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? He said it with a loud voice. The word loud there in the Greek language is the word mega. With a mega voice, a strong voice, an exceedingly loud voice. Has the idea of Jesus screaming this. I don't think he he said the other three sayings that we've already covered. I don't think he screamed those. But he was in agony of soul. God, why? I'm forsaken. Now, he knew why. We'll cover this, Lord willing, next week in greater detail. A little more different aspect of the mystery, but... With a loud voice, just the agony of it. Again, the word forsaken means to abandon, to desert, to leave behind. The aloneness. Being the brunt of the wrath and the judgment of your holy Father. And by the way, the Father was suffering. He was not gloating. Because both of them chose to suffer this together and this was a cup in Gethsemane that he said 
Father, could I, could I bypass that? Now, here's what's interesting. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He borrowed these words from David. When King Saul was trying to take David's life, and David was on the run from Saul, and David said, I've done nothing but good to you. Why are you doing this to me? And I want you to turn to Psalm 22. I ask you to look there. Look at Psalm 22, if you would. Because Jesus identifies with, with David in his isolation, in his rejection, in his being forsaken. In Psalm 22 and verse 1, notice what David says. Jesus quotes him literally. But this is David talking. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far? And this is how the Lord Jesus felt on the cross. So far from helping me and from the words of my roaring. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the the night season, and I am not silent. He was lonely. He was running from cave to cave. Saul was trying to kill him. God, please help me. I feel forsaken. We find the answer why God forsook Jesus in verse 3 of Psalm 22. But thou art holy. God forsook Jesus because in those moments from noon to 3... The Father was holy, but the Lord Jesus was holy. But He had the nature of a man physically, but not the sin nature. And and He willingly took on the punishment for our sins. And the Father had to turn His back upon us as we were found in Christ at that moment. But Thou art holy. And then notice David's plea. And we see this in the heart of Jesus on the cross. That's what I want you to see how Jesus felt. O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel's, our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men and despise of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. You see the people at the foot of the cross here. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let Him deliver him, seeing He delighted in him. Move down to verse 11. Notice the plea of David, and this is a plea of Jesus too. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. You see the loneliness, isolation, being forsaken. Notice now... Here's the emotional distress. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan. Bashan was a location, it's mentioned a number of times in the Old Testament. It's always associated with wickedness. I believe these bulls of Bashan, these strong bulls of Bashan were, were demonic spirits. I don't believe they were literal animals around the cross. There could have been. But I believe these strong bulls of Bashan have beset him round, gaping upon me with their mouths as a ravening. 
and a roaring lion. I think they were mocking the Lord. Remember when Elisha prayed and asked God to open the eyes of his servant so he could see the angels? There are unseen spirits around us. They were mocking this, the Lord Jesus, this emotional torture that he went through. Then you see the physical torture. I am poured out like water. By the way, this is parallel with David. All my bones are out of joint. Of course, not one of Jesus' bones was broken. Some believe that when they dropped the cross in, that, that his bones were locked out of joint. Now, look at this. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. You know, many Bible teachers, and I count myself among them, believe that when Jesus died, he died of a broken heart. I don't mean that emotionally, but, but physically. Your heart is surrounded by a, a sac. It functions like a shock absorber. It's called your pericardium. And it has a, a liquid, like a, a watery substance, all a milky white substance. John chapter 19, when the soldiers came to break Jesus' legs, they broke the other soldier, the other, other thief's legs so they couldn't lift up and breathe. They were asphyxiated. That's how they died. He had already died. And they stuck a spear in his side. And the Bible says, out came blood and water. Remember when I was younger, I was confused about that. But the water was a pericardium. And the pericardium had burst. His heart literally had burst. Physically. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, a, a clay pot, a dry, dusty pot in the Mideast. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. These people, these priests, these other people mocking him. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell. The word tell means to count. I can count all my bones. Maybe that goes back to when it says that his bones were out of joint. They look and they stare upon me. Earlier in Matthew 27, it says sitting down, they watched me there. They part my garments among them. They cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. Notice this plea. Look at this plea. Even in the suffering, even in the isolation. I wrote a letter to someone recently that was going through depression recently. And I said, look, there's There's hope. When you lose hope and you feel like it's not going to get better, I said, it gets better. But even when you're depressed, you're hoping it'll get better. And boy, he's in the middle of the being forsaken. David is, and the Lord Jesus is suffering there. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. And listen, in the mystery of this separation of the father turning his back upon his son, he's suffering your hell, your death, your separation for an eternity. 
from 12 to 3. In three hours, he compacted an eternal payment. Now, how can, how can Jesus pay for an eternal hell? People ask that question. Well, if he died for all of my sins, and he died for an how can he do that on the cross? Because he was an eternal God. And only an eternal being can pay an eternal penalty. And the Lord Jesus Christ compacted an eternity of payment in that time. And God the Father transferred all of our sins upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And he paid your penalty. Hell is isolation. That was on the cross. Hell is darkness, that's at the cross. Hell is torment, that's at the cross. Hell is separation from God, all of that is at the cross. And Jesus was, listen, he was being forsaken by God so that you will never have to be forsaken by God. Never. Never. Even when you can't see your way clear. He died for you and he was forsaken by his father so that he will never leave you or forsake you. I love these verses. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 4 through 6. Surely, and this is speaking of the Lord Jesus, he hath borne our, the word born means to carry, our griefs. Our griefs. And carried, he carried them in the darkness. Our, our sorrows. Last Sunday we sang that song, Brother Daniel led us in. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love to me. But one of the verses says, he took my sins and my sorrows and he made them his very own. I remember 10, 12, 13 years ago, I was going through this heaviness in my life. I didn't know what it was. And, and this this time of depression that I, I didn't understand it. I had always been light and, and easy and, and just the sickness in my life. And, and I'd gone through a period of of loss with my father and and some friends, and I don't want to go into it right now, but but I came across this verse that he not only carried my sins, but he carried my sorrows. You say, how did he do that? Because, listen, when Jesus died, he experienced being forsaken. He experienced the loss of the affection of his father. He carried our sorrows, and yet we did esteem his stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for, the word for is a substitutionary word, our, and I keep emphasizing the word our, our transgressions. That's an intentional sin. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. 
And with his stripes being beaten, crucified, we are healed. There is physical healing in the atonement. One day it will be permanent. But there's a spiritual healing. You don't have to be a victim. Maybe your dad was not a good dad. You don't have to be a victim all your life. Maybe you haven't got the best deal everywhere. You don't have to be a victim. With his stripes, we are healed. That's what the cross is about. All we like sheep have gone astray. Sheep are dumb animals. They get misled easy. We have turned everyone to his own way. That means selfishness, my way. I'm going to do what I want to do. But in spite of my stupidity like a sheep, and in spite of my selfishness, doing my own way, the Lord laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. He laid upon Him of us all. This is not the purpose of my sermon, but I want to say this. Sometimes I hear people say, well, Jesus didn't die for everybody. Well, the Bible says He did. Laid upon us the iniquity of us all. There's not a person in this room that God doesn't love. There's not a person in this room that God can't save. And there's not a person in this room that Jesus did not die for your sins. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, is separation from God. And you were born in that condition, separated from God. The Bible says, but Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love. The word commend means to prove or to show or to demonstrate. But God proved his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, rebellious and selfish, antagonistic toward God. Don't blow past this. What are the wages of sin? Death. While we were yet sinners at Christ... Died. And the word for is substitutionary. He paid the penalty. The cross is not some little emotional, precious little ornament. He died. He was your substitute. That's why it got dark. That's why he was isolated. He took it all. Jesus paid it all. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. He suffered. And he died alone. You know, today's Father's Day. What's your, what's your son's, your daughter's need more than anything is a, is a Christian daddy. They need a saved daddy. My precious daddy. I was talking to some teachers on Tuesday. They asked me to come talk to them. Retired teachers, public school teachers, and I went there and met with them. I 
talk to about my parents. My daddy got a football scholarship. He stayed about six weeks and realized that he loved football and didn't like school. That's all the school he had after high school. Mom got finished high school. I remember in a when I was ninth and tenth grade, her walking out the door over there on Marguerite Drive, two streets away from Butler High School, with these books about six or seven o'clock at night. It's Mama, where are you going? She said, I'm going to school over here at UAH. Are you going to school? She said, Yeah. And you know, when you're younger, you can't put these things together. But she always wanted to go to school. But she had raised us. And she went about a year and her and daddy were working hard for us and she couldn't finish. And we had a very simple home and we had a very simple life. But my mama and my daddy were Christians. And they loved the Lord. When they brought me home, they were going to church. Then they missed a few Sundays and a lady that lived right over here, a couple of streets over, became a mentor to my mother. She said, Linda, you need to, you and Cotton need to raise that boy. I was the only one. My father was not a Christian yet. You need to raise that boy in a Christian home. Make sure he's in church. And he spoke to my mom and my dad, even though my daddy was not a Christian. When I was about three or four weeks old, they began to go to church every Sunday. Soon thereafter, my dad gave his heart to Christ. And he changed the trajectory of my life. And my brother's kids, and my sister's kids, and my kids. What are you going to do with this reality, this gift, this payment that he made there in the darkness? What are you doing with it now? I mean, have you ever trusted Christ if you haven't? Jesus paid it all. All you have to do is just say, God, have mercy on me. I don't deserve anything. I deserve hell. But when you were all alone, paddling the enemy in the bulls of Bashan, you were dying for me. And I received that for my salvation. I believe that. And He will save you and He will change you. And if you've done that, don't ever get over the wonder of it. Don't ever get over the wonder of it.
Would you bow your heads with me if you would?